everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Bhavani at IE Green on the Progressive Radio Network. And I have a great show for all of you today. Michelle Lynn Hughes will be joining me. She is the co she is the associate director for regional food programs at the Glenwood Center. And I'll tell you more about her in just a little bit. But first, I want to share with you some things going on in around the news, some ways you can take action, and of course, share my weekly recipe with all of you. Um, this week, I actually wrote about biodiversity and the risk we are at of extinction of over 1 million species. Um, it's really, really scary. And I know we're living through challenging times and it's really hard sometimes to take a look at the bigger picture because we're also in our bubble of just getting through each day. But I really am asking everyone to step back and take a look at the whole planet and the connection of everything and, and realize that biodiversity and the species on this planet, we are all connected. And if we lose them, we lose them forever. And there's no going back. And we really need to make um, protecting um, these species and us, because we're at risk as well, um, a priority. And, you know, there's lots of different ways that we can do that. Agriculture, as we'll be talking about later on in the, um, in the show, you know, really has a part to play in that. Um, forest deforestation, you know, cutting down trees, forest deforestation is a real problem. Um, trees provide so much for our um, environment. They produce oxygen, they sequester carbon. There's, you know, and the animals are all connected to these habitats. And as we destroy the habitats, we're killing the animals. And so we really need to step back. And there's a petition on my website for you all to sign. The Natural Resource Defense Council, which is an unbelievably wonderful organization. You should all know about them. Just go to nrdc.org to find out more. Um, they have a chance to sit at the table with a team of wildlife scientists and experts um, next month to negotiate how to end human-caused species extinction. And we need our government to know how important this is. And so please sign, um, sign this petition. Uh, we're trying to get 40,000 petition signatures um, for this Convention on Biological Diversity. And so please sign that. I also have a petition um, to help New York state lawmakers pass the Birds and Bees Protection Act, which is also something that's really, um, we've been working hard at NOFA, the Northeast Organic Farming Association to raise awareness about this act. And um, we're asking everyone to write letters to assembly member Edward Ra, commissioner, New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Basil Sagos and Senator Anna Kaplan, urging them to pass this legislation to ban neonics, um, which we know are adding to the um, end of bees and birds and causing really, really mass killings of these animals. So please sign the Birds and Bees Protection Act. Let's get neonics off the planet once and for all. Um, and so please send a letter to your assembly member. And I have a link on my website to do that, make it easy for you. Um, you know, in the news this week, I wrote about eating disorders being on the rise. I was really shocked when I read that article in the New York Times about teenage girls 
um, you know, it's doubled this year, how many girls are um, struggling with eating disorders. And, you know, a lot of it is linked to the pandemic, you know, the sense of no control, isolation, loneliness, depression, all those things add to lots of different um, uh, mental um, conditions and eating disorder is just one of many. And so um, please take a look at that. And, you know, if you know anyone you think might be at risk, um, you know, try to suggest that they get some help because it really is a very, very serious condition and needs to be treated and dealt with. Um, also, as I've talked about before, Long Island is organizing a CSA fair to bring all of our farmers together. And the date is March 26th with a rain date of March 27th. And we have 16 um, CSA farmers lined up to talk about their different programs. We also have a knife sharpening truck coming. So for those chefs out there who need their knives sharpened or home cooks, uh, bring all your knives down and let your let them be sharpened while you walk around and meet all the different farmers. We also have live music planned. Um, we have some food trucks coming. So make a day of it. Come out, get out. Hopefully we'll have a beautiful day. And um, we hope to see you there. It's at the Sisters of St. Joseph in Brentwood. And again, there's links on my website. There's also links on um, the Slow Food North Shore website. And um, we hope to see you there. And I want to share this week's recipe with all of you um, in this time of being stuck at home a lot. Um, I, on occasion, wanted something sweet. And so this week I made some peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. And I want to share that recipe with you. They are vegan. Um, I didn't make them gluten-free because I didn't think anyone was around that needed to be gluten-free, but it will work beautifully with gluten-free flour if you want to substitute that. So you're first going to make your vegan egg with two tablespoons of ground flaxseed and two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and just mix that up and set that aside in a small bowl. Then you want a cup of ground rolled oats, and I measure the rolled oats after I grind them up. So I first pulse them in a food processor, and then I measure a cup out. A cup of flour. Again, you can use whatever flour you want, a whole wheat pastry flour, an unbleached white flour that's organic, or almond flour or gluten-free flour. Half a cup of ground walnuts, a quarter cup of tapioca flour, that makes them extra crispy, a half a teaspoon of baking powder, one teaspoon of baking soda, one teaspoon of salt, three quarter cup peanut butter, and a quarter cup of coconut oil, one tablespoon of molasses, one and a half cups of maple syrup, two teaspoons of vanilla, and then one 10 to 12 ounce bag of dark chocolate chips. And you want, if you're vegan, you wanna make sure that they're vegan chocolate chips. So as I said, you're gonna mix the flaxseed and the apple cider vinegar together in a small bowl and set that aside. Meanwhile, mix all the dry ingredients together in a bowl and just mix that up well. In a separate bowl, mix the wet ingredients, which is the peanut butter, the coconut oil, the molasses, the vanilla, and the maple syrup. And mix that together. And because the coconut oil sometimes in cold weather can be clumpy and not really smooth, I actually used a immersion blender to mix it up so that it really got it, the peanut butter and the coconut oil mixed well together. Um, and then I added the wet ingredients to the dry ingredients, added the flaxseed mixture to that as my egg and blended that up well. 
Then at the very end, you're going to stir in those chocolate chips. I used a, a little like ice cream scooper, which I use a small one for measuring out my cookies so that they're all kind of the same size. And I just laid those out onto a large cookie sheet and I baked it for um, 10 minutes at a three. 50 to 375 oven, depending on your oven. You know, most people know what oven temperatures um, they like. Um, bake it for about 10 minutes, turn it around, turn the pan around, because in my oven, the back of the oven's much hotter. So I always have to turn it around halfway through and then bake it for another five minutes or so. Um, just watch them when they're golden brown, you want to put pull them, golden brown around the edges. That's when you want to pull them out and they'll crispen up as they cool down. Um, and that's it. It makes about 44 cookies. So it makes a lot of cookies um, of the scooper that I used. And of course, depending on the size you make the cookies, depends on how many you'll get. But enjoyed it. Um, let me know if you make the recipe. And now it is my pleasure to introduce all of you to Michelle Lynn Hughes. And I first met Michelle a few years ago at the NOFA New York Conference in Saratoga Springs when she was the co-director for Rolling Grocer 19 which is a nonprofit grocery store that uses a tiered pricing system to fight food insecurity. Michelle is now the Associate Director of Regional Food Programs at the Glenwood Center in Cold Spring. And this role allows Michelle to use her passion for connecting diverse people with varied experiences to create a more just and resilient food system in the Hudson Valley. At Glenwood, Michelle co-manages the Food Sovereignty Fund and leads the CSA as a SNAP program and the regional food for health programs. Um, prior to working with Rolling Grocer 19, Michelle was the director of investments and partnerships for the National Young Farmers Coalition, another great organization you all want to know about. Um, for, and for 10 years, she directed a program at Grow NYC, also another organization you want to know about, where she helped 20 immigrant families establish independent farm businesses on a combined 400 acres. Michelle and her husband also run Reclamation Herb Farm, which is a medicinal herb farm at their home in Germantown, New York. And Michelle holds a BS from Conservation Ecology and Agroecology from Rutgers University. And it's a pleasure to have you, Michelle. Hi, Vivani. It's so great to be here with you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Um, I usually like to start ask, you know, start my questions with my guests kind of ask how you got into um, agriculture and your passion in working in this field. What led you to he to where you are today? Yeah, I um, so I, I grew up in New Jersey, in suburban New Jersey, um, and my dad always had a really big garden, organic garden in the backyard, um, you know, compost in the kitchen, which I thought was weird as a kid because it smelled funny. And, right. <laughs> you know, my friends would ask, what's, what's that? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, yeah. And, um, and I also grew up hearing stories of my grandfather, who was a botanist um, in St. Thomas, where my mom is from. And, um, yeah, and I just, I, I went to records and really was interested in environmental issues, thought I would study environmental science. Um, yeah, I was just really concerned about the state of our world and which, you know, I couldn't even imagine how, how horrible it would be now, you know, till 25 years later. Um, but, um, yeah, and I, so when I got to Rutgers, I found out about this student-run farm, and it 
something just sort of connected. It just, I just connected with it. It, um, I, I realized that agriculture was like a way to be sort of like literally on the ground, like working on environmental issues and that the, you know, the way that we farm was, was so connected with that and to just, and to have, and a way to have a personal connection with, um, with, yeah, with the natural world. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I just kind of, um, Mike Ham, who became uh, a, a professor at Michigan State, was at Rutgers at the time and started the student farm. And so I um, ended up working there um, my whole, um, yeah, all four years um, on this um, organics, little organic CSA, uh-huh. uh, community supported agriculture. And so I just, um, yeah, from there, just kind of kept kept going with it. Lovely, lovely. So it actually was a CSA, the farm? Yeah, it was a CSA. The The members were um, like a lot of faculty and staff um, and and local community members in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome. So um, tell us about, I mean, you've worked at so many great places. I love Rolling Grocer 19. I love National Far- Young Farmers, the coalition, and of course, Grow NYC. But now you're at... Um, you're at Glenwood Center, and that's another awesome organization. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, yeah, it's so great to be at Glenwood. I just uh, been there a little over a year now, um, and so uh, Glenwood's mission is to ensure that the Hudson Valley is a region defined by food where farming thrives, and so that means we're, um, yeah, looking at sector development um, in in my in the regional food program that I'm part of. Um, look, yeah, looking at um, ways that we can um, support farmers and other stakeholders. Um, I guess I'll, I can start by just maybe telling you a little bit of history of, of the place. Um, sure. So right now it's, uh, it's 225 acres um, that is located on the traditional Muncie Lenape homeland or Lenape Hoking. Um, which is also known as Cold Spring in Putnam County. Um, yeah, which I guess is not too far of a, of a trek for the folks in your listening area. Um, you just have to get through the city, I guess, <laughs> through Manhattan. Um, well, actually, my listening area is everywhere, oh, not limited. Great. So, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So if anyone's in Putnam County, um, it's open to the public. You can come by for a visit. Um, there are lots of trails. There's a farm store. Um, yeah. And so the, the property was previously owned by the Perkins family who bought it in, um, 1929 It was, uh, George, uh, and Lynn Perkins and their, uh, his mother, Evelina. And so they came up with the Glenwood name out of the three of their, their names, George, Lynn, and Evelina. Oh, good. Uh Um, Yeah. And so they were, really deeply committed to land conservation. And so when um, Lynn died in 1993, uh, she put the land in trust with the Open Space Institute, OSI. Um, and so they they own the land, which is then leased to this uh, Glenwood Center. Um, and at the same time, they put 1,700 acres um, or donated 
1700 acres to Fonstock Park, which is just to the north of, of the Glenwood property. Um, and uh, yeah, and, then, and they created the center, which was to be dedicated to conservation and community stewardship. And so over the years, our mission has evolved into what it is today, focusing on regional agriculture. Um, and so we have Glenwood's home farm, which is um, has a livestock and a vegetable operation run by um, Nicole Scott, our livestock manager, and Jared Nelson. Um, and it's the farm is certified organic, animal welfare approved, certified grass fed. How um, big is the farm? How many acres um, do they farm? Yeah, it varies. Um, I would say, you know, it's actually it was uh, it was a dairy farm previously. And so it's um, much more suited to, to livestock production than it is to vegetables. Um, mm -hmm. I should know, I think I'd say about uh, 20 acres, maybe in vegetables and the livestock, you know, they're, they're rotating pastures. And so they're using a really good portion of the land. Um, not all, all 20, 225 acres, a lot of that is um, still in forest. And how many cows do they have? Um, well, there are cows, pigs, um, uh, chickens, sheep. Okay, so it's not just dairy anymore. Not just, just no, actually no uh -huh. dairy cows. There'd be ah. only beef, beef cows. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Um, that's a good question for Nicole. I know that it's all, it's always in flux. Um, right now, everyone, all the animals are inside the barn for the winter, um, they'll be getting out on pasture soon and we're going into lambing season, which is always, um, yeah, it's always, always fun to see the, the cute little, little lambs being born. Um, yeah. And the, the CSA has about 170, um, members. So, um, those folks are mostly coming to the farm, um, and also, uh, I mean, I can get into this later, but a little bit of there's a, a um, the CSA is a SNAP program that we run. The drop off is in Beacon. Um, and there's also an on, on farm store, as I mentioned, that's open to the public. Uh, right now it's open Fridays and uh, later in the spring, it'll be open to Tuesdays as well. I have a question. When yeah. you say the CSA program is a SNAP program, does that mean it's limited to only SNAP people that are on the SNAP program or is it open to other people? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the CSA is open to, to anyone, um, but we also have the CSA as a SNAP program, which um, pays, it's a, it's a small pilot right now. There are five farms that are working with us, also with Glenwood's farm. Um, so there's Rocksteady, Solid Ground, Mimomex, um, and, uh, oh my goodness, there's another one in there. That's a man. Yeah. So they, yeah. So, um, yeah. And so they get paid upfront to, um, provide shares to snap customers because, you know, there's a kind of a mismatch between the way that CSA works and the way that snap works for, you know, the, the real value one of the real benefits of, of CSA for farms is that they get money upfront early in the season. Right, of course. Right, so, um, but with SNAP, you really can't pay more than two weeks in advance for food that you're receiving. And so it's really hard for, 
yeah, for um, for folks with SNAP to be able to buy CSA shares with with their benefits. And so we pay farmers upfront um, for those shares that will go to SNAP customers. And then throughout the season, um, they collect half of the value of the share um, from the SNAP customer. So the, the customer is getting a 50% discount. And then at the end of the season, the farmers pay that back into the fund, which recapitalizes it partially for the following season. So, um, so and that's that's funded by Glenwood. Glenwood funds the. It's actually the funded by a US, It's funded by a USDA um, program that comes through Glenwood. Um, uh, it's the Gus Schumacher Nutrition Incentive Program, also known as GusNIP. So um, that's a really important program that lots of organizations around the country have. Um, that are uh, there. It's it's fun specifically to create nutrition incentives like this one. Like the CSA as a SNAP program is considered a nutrition incentive because we're subsidizing um, the share price, um, and uh, also uh, programs that are running uh, veggie prescriptions are also um, can be funded through GusNIP. And so oh. New York State has six different nutrition incentives. Um, some of which are receiving, yeah, GusNIP funds and others which are funded by the New York City or the state. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. So how many families, SNAP families can participate in your CSA program? Right now it's about 50. It'll be 50, uh, I think 55 or so for this, um, this season. And then we're hoping to get a larger, um, a full GusNIP grant for the 2023 season. So then we would be able to scale it up. Uh-huh. And how many CSA members are there total? For a Glenwood CSA, there are about 170. And so, um, yeah, so, right. And so of, of out of that 170, about Five, 50. Five, no, well, about five are coming from five to 10 are from Glenwood. Um, and then uh, th because we have, you know, we're working with other farms in the region, these four other farms who are also providing CSA shares. So that's, um, yeah, in addition to Glenwood's farm. So sometimes we participate in our own programs. <laughs> our uh -huh. own farm is, yes. Yeah. So of the 70, uh, of the 170 members, 50 are SNAP or only five? No, about five to 10, about five to 10. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the other SNAP members are from the other farmers. Exactly. Right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, but the funding yeah. runs through you. Right. Through, right. through the right. Gus SNP program. Okay. Yeah, I'm, so I think right, I'm getting so, it. Right. So to back up a little, right. So we have, um, right. We have, so we have Glenwood's farm and then we have, um, my program, which is the regional food program. And then there's also the farming, uh, farmer training program. Um, and so we, yeah, we do work cross-departmentally. We really try to collaborate with each other. Um, the, yeah, farmer training, um, they run a farm business incubator. They, they run the on-farm apprenticeship program that happens at Glenwood. Um, about uh, five to six apprentices come through each year working in either livestock or um, or the vegetable operation. Um, and then, yeah, and the farmer training also offers other kind of like one-off workshops for new and beginning farmers throughout the year. Um, 
and then we also recently hired a director of agriculture who's really working on um, looking at Glenwood's farm to to see um, like how, how we're living into our um, our responsibility to be a resilient farm um, and looking at our regenerative practices that we're using. And so mm -hmm. over the next few years, um, I think we'll start to incorporate more silvopasture, you know, having more trees and um, nut and fruit trees in mixed in with um, with our in our farm operation. Um, yeah, Laura Lennick is our new um, director of agriculture who's 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 leading this work is really amazing. Um, she's written a great book on um, resilience and there's a new um, copy or a new edition coming out in um, in April. So mm -hmm. and I just yeah. want to clarify for any of my listeners who don't know regenerative means, you know, planting things that will keep coming back more, you know, more permaculture, more um, stuff that, like you said, fruit trees and nuts so that you don't have to keep planting them every year. You know, if things hit the fan, you know, yeah. the, they'll still come back. Yeah. I, and I think also regenerative is um, kind of looking beyond sustainability and thinking about how we can really start to um yeah build the soils for the future um and kind of make improvements that will be long lasting um right. not like just the status quo but actually making it better right 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 not just sustaining but regenerating <laughs> right right perfect um so can you talk about the regional food program? Um, how is that working to advance the Hudson Valley food system? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, what uh, what can I say here? So um, we were, yeah, we're working on regional food systems because um, I think, I mean, as your listeners know, the our conventional industrial food system is is really failing us in a lot of ways um it's not protecting our soil air and water we're putting you know we're putting greenhouse gases in the air that are contributing to climate change um it's not supporting workers with a living wage um and we're producing lots and we're subsidizing energy dense and nutrient poor foods um that are you know, obviously contributing to diet related disease. Um, and the ownership is really consolidated with a few companies. Um, right. And so, yeah, regional food systems won't necessarily solve all of those problems, but it, it creates a framework for us to reimagine um, and build food systems that take um, into fact, into consideration a lot of um, factors like resilience, sustainability, justice, um, biodiversity. It was great that you were talking about biodiversity at the start. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, 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 really, um, it's really important to, to, to our resilience. Um, and so, um, and also like we're looking at the political, economic and social landscape um, and of course geography. So, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, how, how can we be more self-sufficient 
um, not necessarily self-sufficient, but more self-reliant. And so like looking to our, our, um, our regional food system to create um, more resilience in our communities. And I think that that became really clear at the start of the pandemic. So, right. yeah. So with all of the, I mean, the small farms were able to, to be able to mold and move with the, the pandemic and be resilient and be able to adjust to exactly. the new norm where the industrial agriculture couldn't, they needed to dump all that milk and dump it, you know, all this stuff and throw it out because they didn't, they couldn't adjust. Right, at, right. In a short right, notice. Exactly. So re- local, I was at Rolling Grocer at the time and, um, you know, our, it was, it was really great that we had already built so many relationships with regional and local suppliers because I, you know, and I was never worried that we wouldn't have food in the store because of those relationships. Um, and so, yeah, I think regional systems are just, yeah, they're able to adapt more quickly, be more nimble. Um, and so that's sort of like the why of why Glenwood is focusing on regional agriculture. Um, and obviously we're not immune to a lot of the challenges, um, some other challenges of land access and um, yeah, farmers aging out. But yeah, so what we're what we're doing is we're focusing on um, coalition building and also sector development, as I mentioned. So with a cider industry, for example, um, uh, that's kind of the longest standing work at Glenwood that has been going on for about a decade. Um, and it's bringing apple growers together with hard cider makers. Um, and it actually led to the launch of the New York Cider Association in 2017, which now is a, a statewide trade organization um, advocating for the cider industry. Um, and so our other- Is that all cider or just hard cider? All cider. Hard cider, right. Just hard right. cider. Hard cider. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That's always a question because in, in Europe, I guess when you say cider, it just means hard cider because they don't okay. have like our sweet cider. They call that uh-huh. I guess apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, there are hundreds of cider makers in New York state where when Glenwood started the work in, yeah. Um, in like in the early 2000s, it was, there were just a few, like a very small mm-hmm. handful. So the industry has really grown. And so that's the kind of thing that we're focusing on. And so- Now is right the now, cider, is the, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is the cider organic? Because I know, you know, growing, I know most of our organic apples that we get here come from Washington state. It seems like growing right. organic apples is a real challenge. I know I have apple trees on my property that I'm growing organic and I get very few apples because yeah, I'm I definitely mean, usually not the a... squirrels get them before I do, but um, yeah. you know, I'll end up with one or two apples. Yeah. So. And we planted a couple apple trees that are really small and not, not producing fruit yet at our place, but it's, yeah. Then in the Northeast, we just have so much moisture and problems with diseases <laughs> that it's, it's really hard to do it. It's, um, yeah, I guess there are folks who are doing it on a small scale. Um, yeah, and so uh, I think it, it would. Do, I mean, it depends on the on the individual producer. Um, the The association is like inclusive of all cideries, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, but um, but we're definitely uh, encouraging 
right ecological production mm-hmm. and that's something that um glenwood is has you know has been continuing to work on as the the cider association has formed like those kind of like stickier points are the things that glenwood can really help to move the sector forward on that and and also looking at um like the culture of the cider industry is specifically around um, diversity and inclusion. Yeah, that would be awesome if you could have influence on organic apple growing, because I know it is possible. I mean, I've interviewed um, John, I'm forgetting his name right now, apple grower in, um, in Maine. You know, he does all organic and that's even further north. Yeah, no, um, Brian Caldwell was growing some organic apples, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely no apple expert. And this right. is my colleague, uh, Megan Larmer's work. She's really been leading this um, uh, for a long time. Yeah, and so the Hudson Valley CSA Coalition is kind of the other, a, a big part of, of what we're doing and anchors a lot of our work. Um, it's a formal coalition that um, Glenwood facilitates. Um, it kind of was asked for by the CSA farms. Um, They were really just looking at how um, they could do more, you know, work work closer together, um, especially around marketing. I know you met, you also mentioned that there, you have a CSA fair coming up in your area. Um, And that's what- Fun Valley Farm will be there. Okay. Valley Farm has a drop-off and I know they're up in your area. They have a drop-off on Long Island. So they'll be represented there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that the Hudson Valley CSA coalition um, through with through Glenwood um, has been doing um, is running these uh, yeah CSA fairs that have um, after COVID have been online, but um, we have them for uh, sort of sort of like regionally um, like within the Hudson Valley sort of in in smaller uh local areas um and and folks can yeah hear from the farms figure out you know who what farms are in there are are local to them um and then yeah learn go into you know now we're going into breakout rooms and having you know folks can have conversations directly with the farms and learn about them Mm -hmm. so those are the like one of the kinds of things that we're hosting with that Um, we also just had a csa summit that is more farm directed, that is um, um, an event where farmers can sort of exchange with each other, talk about best practices. Um, yeah, talk, talk about their shared challenges um, all related to CSA. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the things I love about the farming community is that I really, and being part of NOFA New York has really shown me this, that there's a real sense of community and sharing. It's not, you know, you don't have this cutthroat competitive vibe that you have in so many industries where nobody wants to tell you how to do something because they're afraid you're going to do it better and outsell them. Um, yeah. I really get the feeling that people share. Part. Yeah, absolutely. There is definitely this sense of community um, and right. And wanting, yeah, I, th- I think especially with, um, <clears throat> with organic farms sustain and folks who are sustainably minded. Um, yeah, they really understand that, you know, I, it, it's the, the survival of any individual farm really depends on 
on all of the others, you know, right. when you have like a vibrant farm community, you have all those support services, you have, um, yeah, you can, it can support businesses like, uh, yeah, tractor supplies and, um, and other, yeah. Even sharing equipment. I mean, a small sharing farm equipment. that can't share, can't mm-hmm. afford to buy a tractor, can borrow a tractor, you know, and I've seen a lot of that going on as well. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Um, you said there's a lot of coalition building. Is there a food hub in Putnam Valley or in the Hudson Valley? Is you, do you have a local, local food hub? Because I know that's something we're talking about here in Nassau County, trying to get a food yeah. hub going. Yeah, we don't have a food hub. I mean, that's, that is certainly, yeah, one of the things too that I think came out of COVID was like the need for more local infrastructure, especially around distribution um, and, and storage. So um, yeah, I, I would, I would love to see something like that develop. Um, And I think also it's, yeah, what's tricky about our area, I think probably Long Island is similar is that a lot of the food that's produced here goes into New York city. And so there are a lot of food access issues in our communities in the Hudson Valley, especially in low-income communities where, you know, uh, it's, it's really hard to get that highest quality locally grown food, um, at affordable prices. So, um, yeah, one of the things that we developed in, in Glenwood out of the pandemic was, is the Food Sovereignty Fund, which is now going into its third year. Um, it launched really small, uh, really at a really small scale in 2020 um, and kind of became more formalized last year. Um, and we had contracts with 17 farms and 15 food access organizations. And so we're pre, we're contracting um, farms um and they're all led by BIPOC LGBTQ plus and women farmers um to grow for food access organizations like food pantries and soup kitchens. So last year we made about $160,000 worth of contracts. This year we'll I think almost double that um and have uh and we'll be working with about 20 to 25 farms. Um, and so yeah that's just another another way that um, we're working to make sure that folks in the Hudson Valley have access to, um, yeah, to the food that's grown here. Mm-hmm. And is your CSA, um, you said you actually do more livestock than vegetables. So is your CSA um, include meat and eggs and flowers and that kind of thing, or do you do mostly vegetables? And I know, you know, some CSAs, you talk about coalitions, some CSAs partner together to yeah. um, fill out their CSA offerings. How do you do it? Yeah. So that, well, Glenwood's meat is mostly sold through the farm store. And I think you can um, do sort of an add-on to your CSA share. You can always like pre-order meat, um, but it's um, yeah, because it's, you know, the cuts are specific and it, it's a little bit trickier to do. Um, there definitely are meat CSAs. I'd say they're more like, um, yeah, tend to be, you, you, yeah, you buy like a half or a whole animal. Um, yeah. Uh, which is, which is great. Um, um, yeah. But again, you have to have the money up front to be able to do that. You have to have a big freezer to be able to store that because you can't eat it all at once. So, um, 
so there's definitely challenges in that kind of CSA of just meat. But that's why I, you know, down on Long Island, I know there's some um, CSAs that offer, you know, a fish, you know, they might bring in a, a fish person to offer some fish or a cheesemonger or a mm -hmm. um, flower person or a bakery. And so they have add-ons, like you said, um, where someone yeah. can pre-order that. Yeah, and which is so fantastic. I think that we're going to see more of that. I think um, I think there's uh, that was actually a big big conversation at our uh, CSA summit that we just that just happened, um, just around collaborative growing for CSA and also these um, yeah kind of multi farm CSAs. Um, and I think I think farmers are realizing that like for their own sort of mental and physical health and um efficiency that it's it's um better to kind of collaborate and maybe focus on what they can grow best um and maybe buy things in from another farm um like there's there's one farm in our area um mx morningstar that's focusing on growing a lot of um winter squash and root root crops for other csas um because they have the land and the equipment to do it really efficiently. And so, um, yeah, I, I, but I think there's still, um, I think farmers still sometimes get stuck in really wanting to grow everything for their, for their own CSA. Um, and so I think, um, but I think this, this like collaborative, um, idea is coming in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit more about food? Um, I'm sorry, land access in your area. I know you know one of your programs is focusing on um, land access, and can you talk a little bit about that and um, how are we supporting young farmers to get land? Yeah, I mean, well, um, the regional food program isn't focused so much on on that issue directly. Um, I mean, what we're doing, I think, is is mostly creating economic opportunities like the Food Sovereignty Fund, like CSAs of SNAP for um, for farmers to be um, more financially viable. Um, our our farmer training program, I think, is probably working more closely on those issues. But it's yeah, it's absolutely. Um, and I, I think like as there becomes more. Um, housing and development pressure in the in the Hudson Valley because of folks you know moving out of New York City um land is beco really becoming a lot more expensive I'm, I'm sure I know that yeah Long Island that's been happening forever um but um yeah I I, th I think it's it's a it, yeah, it's a it's a huge challenge that's going to need a lot of um, I think a lot of policy change and support. Um, and there I mean, there are you know, there are lots of organizations working to match um, farmers who need land with farm with land um, where farmers are retiring and aging out. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there um, to kind of support both sides and make sure that that is fine. It can be financially possible. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like you said, we, it's been a problem here on Long Island for a while. Um, 
it seems like for young farmers to get started, especially out on the East End where land has become such a um, high priced reality and farmers can sell out to developers and make more money than they can farming till they die. You know, I mean, the land's so valuable that trying to keep land in farm production is also a real challenge. Yeah, and I think looking at alternative ownership structures and cooperatives, um, looking at, you know, like Glenwood's, Glenwood doesn't, we don't own, like the organization doesn't own the land. It's, you know, in trust with the Open Space Institute. Um, so I think land trusts have a really big role to play. Um, and yeah, and just finding ways to make, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's about funding that and finding ways to to have the land be sort of commonly held um, in a way that you know it can be used long term by farmers um, and without without having them having the burden of of these of like completely unaffordable land prices. Mm -hmm. Um, your prior job, Rolling Grocer, where was that located? Was that in the Hudson Valley too, or is that further north? Yes, in Hudson, in Hudson, New York. Yeah, in Columbia County. Uh huh. And um, yeah, that's still that organization is still active and yeah, doing great work. Yeah, they're still they're still going along. Um, yeah, and there's a there's a tiered pricing system that we put in place to make sure that everyone in the community had access to the same high quality food. Um, and so, yeah, it was based on based on your um, household size and income, but then also factors like um, other social factors that. Um, yeah, kind of like help folks weigh their um, kind of relative privilege. And um, so like, you know, asking people, do you, you know, do you own your own home? Do you own a car? Do you have a lot of student loan debt? And so those are the kinds of things that we were encouraging folks to um, consider when like choosing how they wanted to pay. And so there were, yeah, three options. Um, and uh, we had, we were fundraising there's, I'm sure there's still fundraising to, um, to support, uh, folks buying at the, the lower price tiers. Um, but it's, you know, it's a kind of an alternative to the traditional, um, you know, emergency feeding model that kind of gives folks a little bit more choice, um, allows people to pay what they can, um, and, yeah, and have sort of like the same kind of transactional um, experience that anyone else would um, going to a yeah going to a store. So it's mm -hmm. kind of I think maybe a way that uh, I know that some food um, emergency food uh, access organizations are really th are thinking that way to kind of move in that direction of you know, having a sliding scale where maybe it's free to some people and, you know, like it would be in a, in a pantry, but other folks have the chance to pay what they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Cause I know, you know, I, I am a big supporter of CSAs. I love the model, but I do recognize that for people that don't have the money to pay up front, it's a real challenge. And unfortunately, many of the farmers, as much as they might want to, um, gifted or 
allow them to pay at another, you know, a different structure, many of them are just barely making it and they can't really afford to do that. Um, how do people find out about the, um, the CSA SNAP program? And is that something, a program that is, that people would have access to here on Long Island as well, or is that just something that Glenwood is running? Yeah, so right now it's just, it's still in the pilot phase. So we're just working with these uh, five farms. Um, on If you, if folks go to HudsonValleyCSA.org, um, there's more information about the program there. Um, that's the Hudson Valley CSA Coalition website. Um, and we're, re yeah, we're really hoping that we can scale this up in 2023 and offer this to, to more farms. But in the, in the meantime, although, um, yeah, we don't have the subsidy for, for more than, um, the pilot now, um, we are developing and there, and there are lots of resources out there to help farms, um, get signed up to accept SNAP if they want to do that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, market link and also the New York farmers market federation, um, have, uh, have, um, yeah, both financial incentives and kind of support to get folks, uh, signed up. Cause snap is, it's not, it's not, a, it's not that hard, but there are a number of steps that you kind of have to go through as a farm to be able to accept snap. Yeah, but that's more for a farmer's market, right? Like I know there's lots of programs like Double Up Your Bucks and, um, you know, for every $5 you spend, you get $2 of extra. You know, there's many right, different like programs like that, but those are good just at the farmer's market. They don't really work for the CSA programs, correct? Well, no, I mean, if you, if as a farm, if you accept um, EBT or SNAP and SNAP, you can, um, you can, you can absolutely ex accept um, payment for CSA shares. The but only it would thing, be weekly, right? It wouldn't be. Yeah, you'd month. have to do it weekly. Right. Um, right. And so, yeah, that's kind of the challenge. Actually, so there's a new bill in um, the New York State Senate that would actually change that. Um, and um, it's uh, Senate Bill 7877. And it would both create, so what you're talking about, Bavani, with all of these um different yeah double up bucks programs so there are, yeah at least six of those in new york you know there's one specifically for veterans um there there's you know this very small one that we run at glenwood um the field and fork network runs the largest um network uh or the largest program in new york state um, new york city has its own program so um the state is now proposing to have sort of one statewide program that would automate the benefits so that folks can just use their EBT card and an additional benefit would come back on their card if they're buying local food. Um, and then it would, and most importantly for CSA, it would allow farms to accept um, recurring payments. So um, they could just, you know, if someone's using SNAP, they could just set that up with their farm so that $10 per week or whatever it is will just automatically come off of their EBT card, um, mm -hmm. which would make it, um, yeah, much simpler for C the CSA farms. I think, um, yeah, and, and potentially uh, it would subsidize that um, 
through this through the state's own program. But that's, yeah, I think now is a time um, for folks to really read that and provide any feedback to their legislators. It's um, being sponsored by uh, Senator Prasad, um, and um, it's a marker bill now. So there's there's lots of time um, for feedback uh, and time to let let uh, yeah your assembly members and and state senators know what you think. Great. So that's for New York State, not not federal. New York State. New York State. Okay. Yes. I will, and I actually think I'm going to try to find um, you know someone from New York State that could maybe come to our CSA fair and set up a table to help sign farmers up to um, be able to take the SNAP. Because I think, like you said, it's not that difficult, but it is a process still. And trying to make that easier for the farmers, because I know mm -hmm. the farmers have so much on their plate to take care of. It's just, it would be one more thing. And I could imagine trying to make it easier for them might be helpful. Yeah, we'll, we'll soon have a one-pager at Glenwood um, that kind of shows folks how they can do it. And also, um, yeah, the person would be Diane Eggert at the New York uh, Farmers Market Federation. Um, if yeah, if any farm out there wants to um, to get signed up, that it, that would be a good place to start. Also, um, yeah, MarketLink, which is a national program, they pay licensing fees for the software you need um, to take SNAP payments for a year, and also. Provide, Sorry, what what organization was that? Uh, MarketLink. MarketLink. Uh -huh. Yeah, and they also provide um, some uh, free equipment if you need it. That'd be great. Great. Thanks. Um, so what can my listeners do to help support uh, regional agriculture in wherever they live? Um, are there certain yeah. ways to start? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just obviously s supporting your local farm, uh, signing up for CSA, I think is really a powerful way to, because you're building a real relationship with um, with farmers, um, you're sharing in the risk, um, and I think you know you have the opportunity to have conversations that um, allow you to really understand their needs and strengths and challenges at an intimate level. Um, just having that sort of you know weekly interaction. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, something like this, I was gonna I mentioned, yeah, the CSA fairs, I think are are really a fantastic way. Um, right, this is actually CSA week right now, we're in the midst of that. Um, so just kind of bringing awareness to CSA. Um, I think that is, yeah, honestly, one of the most powerful ways folks can get involved. Mm -hmm. I know our CSA fair, you know, since the pandemic, the first year we just had to cancel because it happened, it was scheduled right around March when the pandemic hit. Um, but last year and this year we've done it outside. And, um, you know, last year, everybody was so happy to get outside. It was a beautiful sunny day. It was cold, but it was beautiful. And everyone had been in all winter long and all summer long. I mean, everyone had been isolated for a full year when it, for, you know, at that point. And it was just a joyous day to come out and um, be with community. I mean, you know, the farmers seeing each other for the first time again and friends and we had music. It was just, it was a really nice day. And it just made you feel like we're in this together. You know, we're not, we're not so isolated. And um, 
you know, and that's, you know, one of, one of the things that has always drawn me to food. And, um, you know, it's something that we all do, that we all need for nourishment and for our health. And, you know, having good, healthy food should be a right for everybody. You know, it shouldn't be that people that don't have money can't afford good, healthy food. Um, so I think the work you're doing is just awesome. Um, did you start the Grocer 19? Was that your project or were you working there? Yeah, yes, I did. I, I would say yes, it's a, it's a complicated history, but it was, a, it was definitely a community effort. Um, and uh-huh. I was there at the beginning. Yeah, the- that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like programs like that. And, you know, it's just amazing what someone with a great idea and, you know, and people together, working together can really do. And so it's really such a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, as an example to others that, you know, one person can really make a difference. And um, so thanks for all the great work you're doing. Thanks, Bhavani. Thanks for having me. Sure. And everyone out there who's been listening, I want to thank you for joining us. Please go to um, some of the links that I have on my website from this week. Um, of course, no for New York, but the Rolling Grocer 19, the Glenwood Center, of course, the National Young Farmers Coalition. Um, these are all great things. And then, of course, um, Field and Fork Network that um, Michelle just mentioned and um, the Hudson Valley CSA Coalition. And I'll try to get all those links and put them up on my website so I can share them all with you easily. Um, and Michelle, maybe you can pass some of them over to me. Um, yes, absolutely. Make it easier for me. Um, so anyway, everyone have a great rest of the week. Thanks again for joining us. And I'll see you all again next week. Bye for now.